This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Thursday, January 26, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home writer and box office analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? Uh, we, we were gone yesterday. I had uh, some construction happening at my house. I couldn't record. Uh, it's still happening. You might hear it in the background, so I apologize in advance. Uh, but I'll try to keep the mute on so you don't hear, uh, you know, loud noises. Uh, but let's get into it. Uh, I guess the first story I wanted to talk about, you wrote up for the site. And it's about the next film from the director of Barbarian. Tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, one Mr. Zach Krieger, who uh, years ago, some of you might have known as a member, as a founding member of the Whitest Kids You Know, but is now a very, very, very in-demand filmmaker in Hollywood. Uh, many of you might have seen Barbarian last year, which ended up being my very favorite movie of the year. Uh, and, uh, you know, it ended up being a, a solid hit. It only cost $4.5 million to make and made $45 million at the box office. It also seemed to be quite the big hit on streaming, and let me tell you why. According to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Krieger's next movie, which is titled Weapons, uh, was part of a like ridiculously fierce bidding war uh, to the point where studios were trying to get a hold of this before he was willing to take it out. Everyone wanted it. Uh, but ultimately, Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema came out on top, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, it is a sweetheart deal. Uh, Krieger is getting an eight-figure deal to write and direct the movie, which is something wow. even incredibly 
season directors don't necessarily get, but that is not even close to all. Uh, he has guaranteed green light, which means the studio has to actually make it. They, they can't really get out of it. And Krieger is getting final cut, assuming that the test screenings hit a certain threshold. But if they do, he gets final cut. Plus, he has a deal that includes a very favorable back-end deal, and it is guaranteed a theatrical release. So he made one hell of a deal for himself. And and the idea here is that should this work out, he would then become kind of a stable filmmaker for New Line, providing genre films for the studio for the foreseeable future. It's also interesting um, because you usually don't hear about all those like details in the contract that he was that is uh his team probably was able to negotiate but uh good for him what do we know about the movie there's very little known about the movie right now thr only had because warner brothers new line released a very brief press release but they didn't say much about it only that filming is probably going to begin later this year no word on who's going to star or anything but it is described as a multi and interrelated story horror epic that tonally is in the vein of magnolia whatever the hell that means. Um, so I don't know. It sounds a little complicated. Uh, the only thing I can say is that even though everyone was high on him after Barbarian, you got to imagine whatever he pitched in the room must have been amazing. Um, because for a studio to shell out that kind of money, I mean, what he pitched must have been pretty <laughs> impressive. So I don't know. I'm really looking forward to this. And it sounds like if they film later this year, we should see this in 2024 at some point. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Well, Barbarian is uh, one of my favorite films of all time. So, I mean, so, not Barbarian, sorry. Magnolia is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, so, you know, mentioning that as uh, even in the vaguest sense of what, what, where this is, what kind of movie this is, has me interested uh, but you know, it being new line means it, it has to be a horror movie, right? More or less that they, they've typically been a genre label as people have said before, it's the house that Freddie built, you know, yeah. Freddie Krueger. Uh, the only other thing I should mention is that, you know, Warner brothers, you know, new line is a division of Warner brothers, but ultimately new line is Warner brothers. Um, uh, they control DC, uh, and, and Krieger has talked quite a bit about, uh, that he wrote a DC movie that is Batman adjacent. Um, it, he hasn't said a lot about it, but he's talking about, he said, it, he said it, you know, I wrote it. I'm utterly obsessed with it. One day I want to make that. Uh, and, and you know, he's now working with Warner brothers and new lines. So who knows? They might be like, what else you got? And he might be like, I got this DC movie. God knows. So that, that, that's an interesting thing to just maybe note that, he does have a DC movie to pitch and he's now working with the DC folks. Hmm. And also James Gunn seems like the type of guy to maybe want to take a chance on someone like this. For Well, <laughs> yeah. J James Gunn seems like the kind of guy that would hear that would hear the guy who made barbarian out for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, speaking of uh, horror movies, uh, right before we started recording, something came out about the new children of the corn movie. Uh, yeah. This has been in the works for some time. Yeah, you say new. Um, <laughs> I, I was writing about this movie at my old gig, and I've been at Slash Film for a, almost a year and a half now. Um, so it, it's it, it, uh, there's a Children of the Corn. It's described as a remake, but it seems more like a prequel. Uh, uh, that, um, as, a, as a funny uh, aside, 
uh, screened in several theaters in October of 2020. Um, in what was it, Florida? I think. Yeah, it was in Florida. So this movie has been done for two and a half years, uh, more or less. And, and that um, and that wasn't like a test screening. That was like a. No, no, no. It was actually it was just in one of the newspapers. It was like, hey, if you, you know, it was just like it was just released in several theaters at the end of 2020 when virtually, you know, theaters were pretty much closed. So it was like a weird and then it <laughs> nothing really happened to it. Uh, but so now uh, it is directed by Kurt Wimmer and uh, the RLJE Films and Shutter have partnered for the release. Uh, these two have been partnering quite a bit lately. Um, and so, uh, uh, the movie will now hit theaters on March 3rd, uh, and it will have an 18 day theatrical window before it hits uh, digital and on demand on March 21st. And then it will go to shutter later. Um, this is of course, based on the short story of the same name by, uh, by, uh, by Stephen King. However, the synopsis for this one, uh, it, it follows a 12 year old girl in Nebraska who is possessed by a spirit in a dying cornfield. She recruits the other children in her small town to go on a bloody rampage and kill all the adults and anyone else who possesses, who, who opposes her. Um, and yeah, so this seems like a prequel more or less to the original. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was very, very odd situation. <laughs> uh, I get the sense that RLJE and Shudder probably got a nice deal. Probably not a super rich deal. I think that whoever uh, was in control of this probably just wanted to get it off their books. So you know, eh, we'll see what happens with it. I, 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 uh, all of the circumstances surrounding it don't dictate that it it is a particularly great movie, or it probably would have sold sooner, given that it's a Stephen King property. But who knows? Yeah, we are in the Stephen King assance right now. Um, okay, let's talk about. Um... Let's move into box office. Uh, Steven Spielberg has recently did an interview with Deadline, and he was asked about uh, the theatrical marketplace, uh, and he said, quote, I think it will come back, but it's it's coming back slowly, especially for dramas. And he followed that up um, uh, with, I think the pandemic really encouraged a lot of audiences, not just middle-aged audiences, but younger, to stay home and watch on the medium screens in their houses, unquote. By the way, I like how he says medium screens. I've never heard that quote, that uh, term before. Uh, he says, uh, we, we have a social need to get to be together in the world. I don't think that it, that will be stopped by the pandemic. It, it can be frustrated by the pandemic, but eventually we'll see more adult films doing decent numbers in movie theaters, unquote. Uh, Ryan, what do you think of this? I know you are a resident box office analyst. Uh, also, him saying decent numbers doesn't seem like the most ringing endorsement. It seems like uh, it'll get back to kind of what it was before. It sounds like he's saying. Yeah, well, I think it's a very realistic. Um, I think he's being very realistic about it. Like he's yeah. not, you know, and I think the thing is that like he's not wrong. We've already seen, you know, this year, like. I, and I think the thing is, like, even if you look at something like The Menu, a movie that was, yes, it had, like, a genre feel to it, but it wasn't, like, you know, as out and out of horror movie, and that did very well. Um, I think, like, even something like, if you look at A Man Called Otto right now, that's doing reasonably well. Um, you know, Missing is doing pretty well. So I think that you're going to see, like, even though these are, like, thriller-type movies, they're still, you know, adult skewing, I think, in some ways. Um 
I think what we're already seeing is like after the Oscar nominations came out, like we could talk a little bit more about this in a little bit, but like, you know, some of these movies are already heading back to theaters. They might make a little bit more money. So like, you know, we'll see. I, I think that like the, as I argued at the end of last year, studios cannot abandon these kind of movies yet. They need to kind of bite the bullet for a little while. Hopefully they can maybe break even on some of these. Well, people get used to the idea of going to see these movies in a theater again. And then over time, yeah, they'll probably start to make money again, but like, you know, but you can't just abandon them or you're losing a huge section of the business. So I think that, you know, I think Spielberg's right, but I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where a movie like, you know, catch me if you can makes $250 million or whatever again, but you know, you might get to a point where that movie makes enough in theaters and then, you know, finds its audience over time. Yeah. Um, you know what's going to save us all, Ryan? Movie Pass. Movie Pass is coming back. It's opened its beta. <laughs> we have we have new pricing, plan details. Uh, I know we've talked about Movie Pass a lot in the past on on this podcast, and uh, you know it kind of did open the door to these subscription services in the U.S. at least. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. It, it's funny because I feel like uh, six, seven eight years ago I was in Europe and that the, the, the subscription movie theater stuff was already like a big thing over there. Uh, so it took was us it a while. Really a big thing over there still. What, I, at I didn't least, know that. Yeah. At least um, some theater chains and stuff like that. But like, it, it seems so alien to me. <laughs> no, no. Um, it, it was like, how would that work? How does that, how do they even pay the distributors? Like, you know, how does, yeah, I, I, I did not understand. Uh, but I remember being in, uh, London at a theater that was doing that had a subscription service and I was like that's it was just like seven eight years ago anyways uh oh, wow. I think movie pass yeah movie pass I think did push things forward uh they were a bad company they were badly run they had a bad business model uh but they're coming oh, back boy, and hopefully yeah hopefully they have a better business model this time around uh Ryan what do we know about this new this new service well, I thought so. I don't know. Have we talked about? Were you a Movie Pass guy? Because there was like one glorious summer where Movie Pass was the best thing in the world, and it then was like, and then awesome. It wasn't. Yeah, I yeah, I was right. a Movie Pass person. The cool thing is, it let me get into the ArcLight theaters that were here in Los Angeles, which were like kind of the premium theaters. Uh, you know, I love AMC A list now. I, I I've kind of grown to love that, but AMC is kind of like the fast food. Of movie it's like the McDonald's. Yeah, no, of movie I'm with theaters. you. We've talked about this. I'm I, I don't like AMC. It's my last choice if I if I'm going to a like I would go to Cinemark or Regal <laughs> before I would go to AMC. Like it's uh but but it is still though like yeah it is fast food but you can still you know you can't beat what they're offering for something like A list. I'm just lucky that in Austin I have the Alamo Draft House out here and they have their own season pass thing. So for me I'm lucky that I can go to these great movie theaters for twenty bucks a month, you know. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about AMC is, like, whenever I go, I usually go to one of the AMC Prime or Dolby cinemas that are in the AMC theaters, and I feel like those are, like, a step above what the normal AMC theaters are. Like, you have the comfy recliners, you have, um, you know, a great presentation and everything like that. Anyways, we're getting sidetracked here. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, what what does MoviePass bring to the table in 2023? Well, so here's what's going on. So so we learned about almost exactly a year ago that MoviePass was coming back in some way, shape, or form. And, and they, they uh, several months back, announced an open beta where you could sign up for it. And when it became available on your market, you know, they would let you in. 
Uh, now CEO Stacy Spikes recently released a video, and and everyone who was on the beta is now being let in, and I was one of those people, and I'll explain why in a second. So the everyone who was on the beta is now let in if they want to be in. And uh, according to an interview with Business Insider, they're looking to sort of launch everywhere this summer again. Now, as you'll recall, as Peter hinted at, their original business model was what one might call stupid. Um, it was uh, for $10 a month, you could go to pretty much any movie theater and see any movie. And what and what we what we later came to find out is that MoviePass was not negotiating deals with theaters they were just paying full price for every single ticket and in most parts of the country that's more than ten dollars per ticket so the, and and you could do this every day so they were losing money i think their idea was that over time that theaters would see how much traffic they were driving and they, they could negotiate a deal that didn't work movie pass went down in flames it was incredible i can't wait for the eventual biopic or netflix series about it but now they've they've rolled out a more reasonable plan. Uh, there are four tiers. There is a basic, a standard, a premium, and a pro. Uh, and currently, while these prices may change once the new service rolls out wide, uh, it's $10, $20, 30 or $40 a month. The big change here is that they're working on a credits system. So for the $10, the basic plan, you get 34 credits per month. Um, where the ultimate plan or the premium plan comes with 113 credits a month. Uh, those when you go into the Movie Pass app like you used to, and you look for your time and your movie, you can see how much credits that movie costs at that time. So that will fluctuate a bit. For like a, a brand new release at like a premium weekend time is going to be more credits than like a smaller release at a not premium time. So the number of credits it costs for you to use a movie to see a movie will fluctuate. That's the biggest change. I hate this, Ryan. I hate any system. I know, like, uh, back in the day, like, it probably still happens on, like, Microsoft and Nintendo. Like, the game systems, you'd put money in and you'd get, like, credits that were not quite, like, one-to-one with the dollar amount. And you'd have to, like, figure out, like, how much am I spending on this game if I'm going to buy it? How much am I going to? like? Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Like, it feels so user-unfriendly. Um, you know, it does, but it, I couldn't think of a better, cause I have to, I see their point in that, like, cause, cause you know, they're not like a specific movie theater, so they're still kind of paying for these tickets. And so, but I think the, the one thing is that the credits will roll over. You can accumulate credits. Um, so if you have like an odd number left, so you can accumulate up to double what your monthly allotment is. So if you're on the basic plan, you can accumulate up to 68 credits per month or whatever. So you know, it's, you know, there's that element of it. Look, I think that because all these theaters launched their own services, they had to find a way to make this work. And I think that this could work. Uh, uh, the only, the only inconvenient thing now is like for me with the draft house pass, for example, I can reserve a ticket up to a week in advance for a showing. The problem here is that you still have to be at the theater at the location. And then you have to open up your app, pick your screening then you pay for the ticket with your movie pass card like you used to. So you can't like reserve in advance, um, which, which is the big sort of fallback. Uh, but you know, it's, it seems like a more sustainable business model. It, it seems like something that's reasonable. It seems like something that could be user-friendly enough. 
Um, wait, wait, certain- where is the value here, though? Like, do you, do I get more movies for the amount of money than I would if I just put that money? Yeah, in? you you would theoretically, yeah, because like especially if you're not going at peak times or whatever, um, and depending on the types of movies you're seeing, you, you there is some value there. Yeah, it's it's yet to be determined precisely how much value, but <laughs> but you know it's as I think yeah, but but I mean I think but again I think it's like. You know, because everyone still needs to get paid, right? Like, that was the problem with MoviePass before, is that obviously nobody was getting paid when you were charging $10. I was going to the movies like four or five times a week, you know, when I had MoviePass that one summer. And for my 10 bucks a month, they were losing a ton of money on me. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think I think this is still a potentially decent deal for the right kind of moviegoer, but it's certainly not like it was going to be before. And I think the biggest thing is that, yeah, they have to now compete with these other services that exist you know, to, to, uh, that are quite frankly serving their own interests because AMC has every motivation to get people to use a list. The Alamo draft house has every motivation to get people to use their season pass. Uh, Regal, I forget what theirs is called. I think it's just Regal club or something. They have motivation to get people to use that. So why would they support movie pass? And the answer is they won't. I don't know. Like AMC, a list, just for example, is 1995 a month. And I get to see three movies every week. I can see them in IMAX. I can see them in 3D. I can see them in Dolby Cinema. You know, there's no restrictions. It's just like easy. I'm paying $19.95 a month, and I could see up to three movies a week. Do I see three movies a week, Ryan? No. <laughs> Has there been months that I actually didn't go to the theater? Yes. In that way, it's like a gym membership. Do you know what I mean? You, you pay for it. You expect to use it. Uh, has there been mov- uh, weeks that I've seen three movies in theater? Yes. It's been days I've seen three movies in theater. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I I just feel like that's so much. It seems like so much simpler and so much better value from the consumer end than MoviePass. MoviePass feels like. If you're going to see this many movies, then you may as well go through us because you could get some value out of it. Yeah, totally. I, 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 but again, it's just one of those things that, you know, like I've argued that anything that could potentially get people back to theaters is a good thing. If people will sign up for this and they do find some value in it, you know, uh, you know, good, good for them. But, uh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see how it actually goes in practice. Next up, we're going to talk about the Oscars. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Uh, you, you also wrote this article up on the site, the 2023 Oscar nominees for Best Picture, a box office breakdown. And I thought this was interesting because, you know, in recent years, uh, the the Best Picture nominees have been a lot of, like, smaller films that didn't really do well at the box office, uh, leading them to actually expand the cat, uh, the nominations to uh, – you know, eight to 10 nominations a year uh, to try to get in, you know, the big, like, uh, you know, bigger movies that might excite people to, to, to watch the Oscar ceremonies, to have like kind of some kind of skin in the game of being excited of, uh, you know, who's going to win the best picture. Uh, but this year is interesting because some of these movies have actually made some substantial money. Yeah, no more. So I did this last year. I did a very similar breakdown of looking at the Best Picture nominees. And, you know, 20, because so, you know, let's keep in mind the 2023 Oscars are honoring movies that were released in 2022. The 2022 Oscars were honoring movies that were released in 2021. As you'll recall, in 2021, 
it was a very streaming heavy year still. That was the recovery year for the box office. So the early half of the year, you know, very few people were going to the movies. Warner Brothers did its Project Popcorn thing where all their movies went to HBO Max and in theaters. The only certifiable blockbuster at all in in the field last year was Dune, which made like $400 million. Um you know, so it was like a mixed, you know, there wasn't like a lot of movies that a lot of people had seen or had a lot of investment in. Uh, this year, the big difference is that we literally have two of the highest grossing movies of all time in the best picture category, which is Avatar The Way of Water and Top Gun Maverick, both of which scored best picture nominations. Uh, quite frankly, I am a little surprised that Top Gun got all the way to best picture, but that I think I view that as a good thing. Um, going down the whole list here, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a Netflix release. Banshees of Inishirian, which is a Disney Searchlight Pictures release. Elvis, which is from Warner Brothers. Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is from A24. The Fablemans, which was Universal Pictures. Tar, which from which from Universal via Focus Features. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, again, which is Paramount. Triangle of Sadness, which is through Neon. And then Women Talking, which was through MGM uh, slash United Artists. Um, the lowest grossing of the bunch was Women Talking, which as of that writing had only made $1.1 million dollars. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front only got a theatrical qualifying release. It's a Netflix movie. We have no idea how much money it made. Probably very little. You have a couple of other huge hits in here in Elvis, which made nearly $300 million worldwide. And interestingly enough, is being re-released in theaters this weekend. Because Elvis kind of surprised me. I, I didn't know that it made that much money. Elvis did really well. And then Everything Everywhere All at Once made $104 million. And is a very, you know, like... The type of people that would tune into the Oscars, there's probably a lot of crossover with people that would actually buy a ticket to that movie. Um, I feel like that's like the parasite of this year. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the underdog going into the Oscars that I feel like a lot of people, especially like film fanatics, are like rooting to win. Yeah. And even something like Banshees of Inishirin, where that movie made like 30 million for what it is, that's pretty good. You know, so like, so, you know, the, and, and the other thing is that we're already seeing renewed interest in some of these tar had been out of theaters for weeks. I can now go see that at the draft house this weekend because they're bringing it back. So like, I think the upshot here is that because the movie going marketplace is in a better place, I think we're going to see the totals increase for some of these movies for sure. Uh, but I do think you have movies that people are actually interested in here. And this could, the important thing is that this could get people to tune into the ceremony because the last two years were by far the lowest ratings that the Oscars have ever faced. And, you know, as I've said many times before, you know, studios are only going to do this because awards are kind of important and they can event that you can make more money over time, you know, with like an awards type movie. But I mean, if the money's not there and people aren't watching the Oscars, your motivation to make these movies goes down. Yeah, no, uh, totally. And uh, yeah, I think there's going to be more people watching the Oscars this year just because of those two movies, just because of um, Top Gun Maverick and uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, I guess actually also Avatar. There's a lot of movies that made big money this year. This is, It's actually kind of uh, surprising. I mean, what what do you why do you think that is compared to the previous i mean obviously yeah last year and the year before we can't really compare because it was well that's what i think i think it was just the night and day thing of you know 2021 was a recovery year 2022 also a recovery year but a much more healthy recovery year and so i think the types of movies that were released last year 
I mean, I just think a lot more movies made money overall, right? You you yeah. you know, something like something like um Triangle of Sadness could not have made twenty-two million dollars last year. It just wasn't gonna happen. You know, so I so I do think, you know, that's where things are healthier, you know, right now. And and so I would be curious to see what the uptick is over the next month and change with some of these movies. Like I'm curious to see if the Fablemans can kind of pull it in because I do think, you know, we've already seen, I think the, the full Wednesday numbers haven't come in yet, but I'm willing to bet that there was an uptick in some of these movies in the Wednesday box office, um, you know, compared to what they were before. And then you even have movies like black Panther Wakanda forever that were nominated in some of the smaller categories, same with the Batman. So you have a lot of reasons for people to tune in. And I think that's interesting. You know, I know you're a box office numbers guy, but looking at this list of best picture nominees, who do you think has the best chance of 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 actually getting the the most votes from the Academy? The most votes are the one that's going to win because that's not because it's like a tiered voting system, I believe. Oh, right? yeah. Like the I number two. That. So so we talked about this in the Slack the other day. As I was looking at it, I was like, man, is Netflix going to sneak in here? Because I think like All Quiet on the Western Front is like the safe war movie, right? And so what's going to happen is I think the vote might split between like, you know, the new hit people might vote for like everything everywhere all at once. The old guard might vote for something like the Fablemans. And then I feel like Banshees of Inishirin is going to be number two on a lot of people's sheets. And so I think what's might, what, what might happen is the vote might split. And then like your old guard folks could could vote enough for all quiet on the Western front where that ends up kind of sneaking in. Um, so that's that actually right now, I think that could be what I see happening. Mm-hmm. So even though that hasn't been talked a lot about as a possibility, I think that's, that's a possibility. Um, I also, I, for me, I do think there is a shot at the Fablemans getting it just for the Spielberg of it all. And then I also do think we could have a parasite situation where everything everywhere all at once does go the distance. How, how much money did it cost to make the Fablemans? Do you know? The Fablemans cost 40 million. Uh, so, so, you know, it's very much in, in, in the red right now. It is not in the black. Um, but I think over time, you know, with, with the Oscars coming up, it might see that number increase uh that box office number and then also it's probably doing well on vod right now and obviously if it wins best picture then suddenly universal even without like the immediate box office returns is probably much happier about their investment there it's still shocking to me that a movie from steven spielberg about you know basically his life and about making movies struggling to get over 20 million dollars like to me this seems like the parallel of this seems like almost famous which i know was considered a uh unsuccessful movie when it was released but like if you look at how much money that made adjusted for inflation domestically 55 million that got to yeah uh, yeah and that's not yeah. about Spielberg. <laughs> I mean, like no one knew, yeah. like it, some people knew Cameron Crowe, but not like Spielberg's a household name. I feel like. I think the Fablemans was actually a tough sell for your general public. Like even my mom who loves movies is not that interested. And, you know, I, 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 I honestly, even though it's Spielberg, I would have liked to have seen that movie made for a little cheaper. Uh, you know, 40 million is a lot for that kind of movie. I think even a few years ago, that's a lot for that kind of movie. 
um there's not like a lot of big set pieces in it you know what i mean it's a very like it's it's a it's a human drama movie i think if he could have got it to 25 you know I'd, i i hate to tell spielberg to nickel and dime his budgets but like you know he he works in the same realities everyone else does and you know like but but even so again depending on how it pans out at the oscars you know that kind of will determine universal whether or not they're ultimately happy with what they did because i do think they looked at that movie and thought we've got a real shot at some big awards here. And that does factor in. Oh, for sure. And you can find Ryan's full article on slash film.com. You can find all of the articles we mentioned on today's podcast. Oh, listen to that construction. You hear that? Uh, <laughs> you can find everything on slash film. Uh, this podcast, you can find at Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at slash film.com. And rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>